Eagle Leal trying to get round him, and he has Leal 2-0 Nashville, and Leal is at the double. The real Leal is back. The Ticos brace secures three points for the boys in gold and ends the second losing streak of the year. Those two Randall Leal goals, courtesy of our good friend Tony Husband on Apple TV, as Nashville is back in second place with three matches left for the boys in gold before League's Cup. This is Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from the two people who cover the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I'm Wes Bowling. And I'm Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of ClubCountryUSA.com. Tim, hello from Quebec, where it feels like Tennessee today. It is 80 plus, it is humid, it is sunny, and I'm ready to go jump in a lake. Yeah, uh, is it uh, is it like a, a 109 80 plus, or is, <laughs> or is it like one that just kind of feels like 80 plus? Because that's not that big of a deal. It feels like probably upper 80s. It's not, it's not terrible. Um, it is, it is warm enough that my mother-in-law is considering getting in the water, which she only does when Whoa. the water itself is 80 plus. So that's, <laughs> that's how warm it is. I will tell you this. Uh, I was in the water last week on a colder day and I, I got bit by a snapping turtle in the toe. Do you still have the toe? Or did I it, do still uh, have the toe. I think, a, I think it was a warning shot because I was in the water. I feel like if you're in the water, they don't hold on as long. They're like, I don't want to drown this guy. I just want to let him know to not mess with my stuff. I'm holding our, my, my two-year-old in one arm. I get bit. I hurry, rush him out onto the dock. Everything's fine. Broke the skin, but nothing severe. And my son, who I held tightly the whole time, looks at me and he says, it made me sad when you let me go after you got bit by the snapping turtle. <laughs> okay, here's what we're going to tell mommy, and it's not that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Major League vibes up here. Uh, Nashville SC took a vacation from winning uh, on the road last week, and they're back at it. They went back to work. And Tim, after... Randall's first minute strike was disallowed due to a razor thin offside call in the buildup that I would have liked to actually have seen them take a closer look at. Mm-hmm. This one really never seemed to doubt against DC. Yeah. I mean, the final stats are going to make it a little bit misleading. It was basically dead level unexpected goals and, and DC ended up with the bulk of possession, but realistically Nashville was, was pretty much dominant. And if that, that goal had gotten maybe a bit longer of a review and, and been overturned, um, the, you know, Rewatching, there was not an angle that they showed even on the broadcast that was going to make it clear one way or the other. But, you know, D- DC has been doing this thing under, under Wayne Rooney this year. They just want to play a super high line and let Tyler Miller kind of be a sweeper keeper. Uh, it can be boom or bust. And let's just say uh, Randall Leal is very happy that they, <laughs> they were playing that philosophy <laughs> on Saturday night. Say what you want about that approach. It got him to the All-Star game. Dot, dot, eh, dot, well, chosen by his own coach, despite that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that numbers. might have had a little more to do with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, see our interview with Cheyenne Foster last week, by the way, folks, if you want me uh, to vent about that, you want to hear me vent about that too. A DC mind, uh, pretty awful. But, but going back to the result, how important was the win, Tim? I, you know, this team's never lost three straight. Uh, it didn't happen this time, obviously. But not just that the win happened, how important was the way the team went about its business? I'm of two minds of it. First of all, the home road split in Major League Soccer is huge. And and for a team like Nashville that has been elite at home this year, it's even bigger. And so you just look at last week and say whatever. But the fact that they haven't been knocked down in this way in in such a long time and they they bounced right back is exactly what you want to see. Because not only did they come out and win the game, they looked like, you know, they kind of had a certain swagger about them that is like, this is what we're this is what we are. And obviously some of that is, is Randall Leal coming back. He's a, a naturally a swagger possessing sort of player and he lived up to it, obviously scoring 
both of the game's goals. So that's something that you like to see. But, um, uh, you know, we'll see how it how it plays forward. If it is a swagger that Nashville SC is just going to have for the, the remainder of the season. And if so, this is a team that, that can be back on maybe some of those special tracks that we had been talking about a couple of weeks ago before the the uh, the mini losing streak there. What was so nice to me is that it was basically last year's team playing like this. You're without Fafa and Schaffelberg, your two most important offseason additions, the two who have stretched defenses and and really challenged teams and created a bit of a new model for the way Nashville plays. They're both, of course, at Gold Cup. Anibal Godoy is as well. And yet still you have, you know, not only the team stepping up in their absence, but in the absence of a Hani Mukhtar goal, Rendell Al's return is the story, I think, Tim. And, and that's the story we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, and we've talked a lot about how the narrative around Randall Leal is is weirdly negative from the national perspective, but but extremely and I think justifiably positive from the local perspective. And I think you see in games like this why he is so important in a game where Hani Mukhtar came out and, and was good, but didn't do the Hani Mukhtar scores and assists sort of stuff that we're used to. Having another extremely talented attacking weapon that's that's a different type than a, a Schaffelberger Biko, who you mentioned, the, the speed merchants that they are. Leal is a guy who's a, who's a bit more well-rounded and he can be the sort of player that steps up in that sort of situation. Whereas, you know, those speed merchants may still be reliant upon Hani. Leal's got the ability to go out and, and make a little magic himself. So we'll talk randall and his impact in the early shot will also get into the numbers behind nashville's dominant home form tim mentions that home road split that is pronounced certainly for the boys in gold and also nashville's record without a goal from hani who's going to be licking his chops to face a chicago fire team against whom he tallied a hat trick has done that twice actually in his nashville career and that's who nashville plays next uh in the mailbag we're going to chat a little bit about uh jack mayer uh, who i will contend well, I'll make a strong I'll make a strong assertion that will I'll, I'll tease. You have to listen to it. There you go. <laughs> um, and then outside in some Gold Cup takeaways. And I'm going to endeavor, Tim, to fix the MLS All-Star game. I invite you to, to participate if indeed you think it needs. In the MLS All-Star game? Who am I? Tyler Miller. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, example 1A of the issues with the All-Star game right now. Of course, one thing I, I don't want to fix is Arsenal's presence in it. That's going to be fantastic. <laughs> I will be rooting for Arsenal and Hunt. Yeah, a little tease here. I think you you might be wanting to fix Arsenal's presence. <laughs> Arsenal every year. Arsenal every yeah. time. <laughs> Bigger venue though, where I can actually get tickets that aren't four hundred bucks a pop. Yes, I tried to go, and it's just not. It's not going to yeah. work out. Even the skills challenge too much. Uh, but but first, Tim, big news uh, from ML Rose. Uh, July fourth promotion. So if you're listening to this. Uh, on the third or the morning of the fourth and we're going to get this out on the third as soon as we get this thing edited so plenty of extra holiday time for those who who are traveling but um if you go to ml rose on the fourth not only are they open but with the purchase of a craft beer you get a free slider free burgers yes free burgers at ml rose uh, tim as if things needed to get even sweeter for people to to go to that restaurant and with the purchase of 15 beers, do you get 15 sliders? That's the question. Limit one per person, I would think. With the purchase of 15 <laughs> beers, you do get uh, an Uber, hopefully. Yeah, you know, <laughs> or, a, or a pleasant walk in the insanely hot weather. <laughs> yes, in an increasingly walkable neighborhood uh, of, of 8th Avenue. Of course, Charlotte uh, Pike as well with, with a location there. Uh, Capitol View, Mount Juliet, all locations participating uh, again, free slider with the purchase of a craft beer. I don't need free things to want to go to ML Rose, but man, that makes it even sweeter, especially when you have it with their recommended um, cocktail. So you get the burger, get the craft beer, and then maybe have a have a cold cocktail on a hot day. Uh, their email today recommended the Boozy Frozen Dole Whip. 
sweet creamy pineapple perfection mixed with Malibu coconut rum and whipped cream vodka. Are you a are you that a sounds really good. sweet and fruity cocktail guy? Because I'm I I I'm great with it. The girlier the drink, the happier I am. Yeah, it's uh it's a long enough kind of journey through my through my drinking experience that to, to not be interesting for this ad read, but uh, I'm I'm not generally a cocktail guy, but if I do, I pretty much only drink Manhattans. So there you go. That's the that's the Cliff Notes version. Respect with a good bourbon in there. Can't can't uh, do much better than that. That sounds delicious. As does a uh, a frozen pineapple uh, situation. Um, that's not the name of the cocktail. Frozen pineapple. Situation. <laughs> I'm clearly their marketer. Um, ML Rose again. Free slider July 4th with the purchase of a craft beer. Also drop by and watch the Chicago match if you want. It's going to be away and they're going to have it on. So. Uh, certainly take advantage of that. Let's move on now to the early shout. After the injury, uh, was difficult too, you know, to get reading again. People think when you get back after the injury, then you can start playing. It's not like this. You need to get some reading. And I think these three games before, uh, you know, give me to me like good confidence, good reading, and, and now I I'm trying to. To be 100%, and today I think I did it well, but I think I need to to keep uh, uh, to keep improve and to keep working hard. We needed somebody to step forward tonight. On most occasions, it has been Hanny, and and he's been our you know our, our talisman, if you like. We needed somebody else to jump out of the pack and say, "I'm gonna take this game by the scruff of the neck," and and Randall absolutely did that last week was his first real genuine week of football coming back from what has been a, a, an extended layoff, if you like, from his hamstring problem. The game here, if I remember rightly, against St Louis was a tough one for everyone. And he came off at half-time, which in many ways enabled me and the medical group to, to get him ready for what came next. And there was some good football played in those um, Montreal and Columbus games. But certainly not through different circumstances, the Randall that we know and, of course, have grown to be very, very fond of. Today was exactly what we needed, what he needed, what we needed, um, a match-winning performance. And for me, man in a match, for sure. Gary Smith and Randall Leal talking about Randall Leal, who tallied his second brace in gold. The first came in the 6-3 win in Cincinnati in 2021, the most hilarious match in uh, Nashville SC history, thanks to Brenner and others. Tim, and we talked about Randall a minute ago, but getting him healthy as we get into the transfer window, I know he's, he's been working his way back in slowly, mm -hmm. but having him in full form now, able to play long matches and tally multiple goals in the game, that's like getting a new transfer into the team itself, isn't it? In a way, I, I always, you, you do hear a lot about this and you hear uh, Taylor Twelman mention it incessantly anytime <laughs> a player comes back from injury, but I don't necessarily like the framing, I guess, in terms of the personnel that you have available, it's kind of like that. But um, when you bring a guy back from injury, he's somebody who has been with this club since the beginning. He was the, the second signing uh, from external uh, purposes, if I recall correctly, even before Ani Balgadoy, before Dax McCarty. He's a guy who who knows this club, knows the system and all that sort of stuff. There's there's it's better than a new transfer, but it's also less exciting in some ways than a new transfer because a new sure. transfer kind of has that that dream of what may be. And you know what you're going to get with Randall Leal. And um, we've we've uh, expressed a little bit of frustration that people think that what you're going to get from Randall Leal is, is less than what you actually do end up getting. But yeah, I mean, in a way it is in terms of, of who you have on the pitch, but 
um, it, it just always feels different to me. And it, it kind of is a, a, a convenient little phrasing that I, I, I don't necessarily always care for. It's a tired cliche. And I understand yeah. that, uh, you know, especially when you've built the team with the expectation that you're going to have a guy like Randall around, you're just, you know, mm -hmm. you're getting somebody in that you'd already, you're replacing a negative versus adding a positive. I understand that premise for sure. But what he does on the pitch, I think was especially valuable against DC when you're without your two guys who are stretching the pitch on the wings and you need somebody who can roam a little bit more and team up in the attack. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, his injury and Fafa and Jacob's absence was especially pronounced when you go on the road to Columbus and Montreal and play like Nashville did. For me, it was a puzzle mm -hmm. piece. It was a perfect jigsaw puzzle piece that his skills fit exactly what Nashville needed in this match. And he came mm -hmm. through. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you don't have those two guys, you you need somebody who can stretch the field in a very different way. He does it with his shooting. Um, the, you know, the first minute non-goal was an example of, of a shot outside the box that it forces a defense to react differently. And, and yes, usually Nashville has been putting Jacob Schaffelberg and Fafa Picot up top and then letting them run in behind. And that's how they stretch the defense. But it's been uh, uh, obviously a, a, a period without them. And it's, it's going to continue being a period without Schaffelberg, at least um, Pico obviously coming home after Hades elimination, but you need somebody who can force the defense to be honest in different ways. And that frees up. Obviously we, we've talked about how Hani Mukhtar did not have a goal less uh, on Saturday night, but uh, it's going to free him up to, to have opportunities to do that. If you have other offensive weapons. And he still was involved, and I think he was able to get you know more involved in other aspects of the buildup. He had the assist on on one of Randall's goals. He created a couple of chances. Hani did had five total crosses, which actually led the team, tied with Dan Lovitz, who played really well. Had a nice a nice mm -hmm. match as well. But I want to talk a little more about how Leal worked together with Teal and Hani. Leal played at the top of the diamond, so Hani and, and Teal, who also returned from from a two game absence, a, a hurtful two game absence. They were able to play together for the first time in a decent while for sustained minutes. What do you think about how they worked well together and, and how did it compensate for the loss of that speed that Nashville's missing on the flanks right now? Yeah, it's it's interesting because Nashville typically kind of lets the guy who's at the top of the 10 sometime, or top of the diamond playing the 10 sometimes kind of rotate with whoever the other, the non-target striker is. And, and there's a little bit of a, a fluidity to the positions. And depending on who is at the top of the diamond, sometimes that can they can switch with one of the shuttlers instead. So there's a little bit of flexibility there. When you have Randall, it's probably the most like-for-like like to Hani. So it makes it a little bit more of a, uh, a similar situation, regardless of which guy is playing up top. Whereas with, with Fafa and, and Schaffelberg, you have a, a true speed guy and your target hold up sort of striker in, in Bunbury that uh, that rotate with Hani, who's who's obviously the all around, you know, attacking dynamo. It's, it's a different situation when you can basically have either of those guys do basically the same thing. I think Leal's best spot is possibly as as one of the shuttlers with Hani at the 10 when you have a full strength lineup because it puts so many weapons on the pitch. But uh, as a guy who can go in and, and basically be Hani, he's not going to uh, produce the same way that Hani does. Although he, he scored a couple goals, a couple couple goals, uh, uh, you know, his goals per ninety six is probably not that much worse than Hani's right now, based on how little he's played this year. But it is something where you you are getting similar types of weapons on the pitch, and that makes it better for everyone. And um, I think it's only a matter of time before before a striker and, and presumably Teal starts to take advantage of of the attention that it is forced on. Um, you know, a honey and a honey light on a pitch together at the same time. I'll flag one more thing that I didn't notice at the time, uh, but that is 
equally important, and that is Randall's ability to track back and his impact mm -hmm. uh, on the defense. He led the team in tackles, attempted and tackles one, had an interception as well, uh, and did a lot of the dirty work that that we're used to seeing him do in service of the defense and shielding the defensive midfield and back line, in addition to turning things the other way and scoring a couple goals. And I, I don't think yeah. we want to lose sight of that, that that's every bit as important. And and as you mentioned, a great reason why he's a fit as a shuttler as well, because he can yeah. cover some yeah. of that ground, track back, and and you know allow some steeliness in the middle that that enables then somebody like Shaq Moore to and even Dan Levitz to get forward on the wings. And before his uh, weird split with the Costa Rican men's national team, which I think he'll get back into at some point, but he was playing primarily as a six for them. And, and some of that is, is incompetence of, of their past and present <laughs> coaches, but that, that tells you that he has the defensive fight to be not only a guy who can, who can play as a 10 and, and still give you something defensively, but can play as, as a shuttler can play as a holding midfielder. If you need him to, um, he's only going to do that. Nashville somewhat rarely because of the the depth and quality of talent at those positions but it is something that having that defensive bite at more advanced positions on the field gives Nashville more flexibility gives them they're not going to play like Red Bull ball but it gives them the ability to press a little bit higher up the pitch and, and not only get those turnovers but when they get those turnovers suddenly have the ball at the feet of, a, of an attacking dynamo. You heard it here, Randall Leal at the six for Nashville SC, the base of the diamond with Hani at the top of the diamond, <laughs> a new DP striker alongside Teal up top. There you go. Just balls to the wall. And Fafa and Schaffelberg at the at the shuttle. <laughs> I mean, there are there are moments in the in the first few years of FC Cincinnati when that was the style lineup they put out there. When they were playing like a left wing at defensive mid. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, so you you Kubo still plays a lot of <laughs> defensive mid. Designed as a DP winger. <laughs> Unbelievable. And it's actually working for him now, but yeah, they actually yeah. have other pieces around. Um, all right. The, the negative note here, uh, Walker's red card. Uh, defense defense did earn its first clean sheet in 10 matches. It might have been that long. That's the good news. The bad is that the anchor of the back line is not going to travel to Chicago. Walker Zimmerman with two yellows. Uh, were either of them yellows? Or are Gary Smith's post-match criticisms that, that we're going to hear right now accurate? The fact that we've been able to navigate those final 25 minutes, keep a clean sheet and win the game obviously takes a lot of emotion out of, of what went on. I would have to question very much so both bookings. The first one that we saw on, on the big screen, Walker makes contact with the ball. Yes, there is some contact with the player. A foul. How it's a booking, I have no idea. The second one was abominable. It, it, it truly was. It, it's such a very, very poor decision at that point, especially as he's on a booking, and maybe, maybe the referee didn't think it was a bad decision, the first one. But I, I would have expected, and I expressed my feelings to the fourth, if, if he says to Walker at that point, look, there's going to be no other challenges, you're going off. Then I think maybe that's the final warning that you have. But given the scenario, I have no idea how he finds a sending off out of either of those two challenges. No idea. What do you think? Is Gary right? Or are either of these even worthy of a yellow card, Tim, in your view? Yeah, I mean, I could see in a vacuum either of them potentially being a yellow card. It's a soft yellow card for either of them, though. And when you make the soft yellow card call in the first half, you should go into the locker room and say, yeah, I I will call the fouls fairly, but I think I've got to have a little bit longer leash in terms of dishing out a yellow card to a guy who, who is on one for something that's fairly innocuous. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, 
I criticized uh, Nima Sagafi, who was Nashville's official uh, for for the uh, St. Louis match. And I said, look, Nima Sagafi is a great referee. He has a very high reputation among his his colleagues, among uh, the people who follow the league very closely. Um, Guido Gonzalez does not have that. <laughs> so I, I uh, you know, pulling, you don't need to pull as many punches because he, his reputation is, is somewhat poor. And he unfortunately lived down to it in that moment specifically. Um, obviously, you, you always hear refs say, you know, don't don't ref the situation, ref, ref the game that is in front of you. But I think there's a there's a little bit more awareness needed when you've made a, a, a justifiable but soft call in the first half. To make a justifiable, justifiable, I'm having difficulty saying that word, but fall, but soft call in the second half against the same guy, you're making the game about yourself in a lot of ways, and that's mm-hmm. something that, it, uh, you know, it's 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 kind of an own goal <laughs> goal on him because it's not it's not a good look for him, and it's something that is going to rob major league soccer fans of the ability to watch a guy who has won the defensive player of the year, um, you know, a couple times in the past three years. So that's something that, um, you know, it, it's unnecessary uh, to, to officiate the game that way. And I think it's, it's, it's not good officiating. And uh, again, you know, every time, you know, I, I will continue to caveat, he's not out there trying to screw over Nashville SC. Yeah. He's not out there trying to do a bad job in any stretch of the imagination, but it is a situation where he's out there doing a job. And when you don't, do your job well I, I think it's also fair to 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 do a little bit of level-headed criticism we're not going to say that you should lose his job <laughs> we're, yeah. we're saying that that's, that's not the right call in the moment i'll save one he should lose his job or he should be suspended per season i'll save one of those not he, he should lose his job but like you know so and so should take a week off i'll save one of those per season we hadn't reached it yet Oh, uh, and you know, I won't use it if I. If I'll, I'll use mine this week for Walker Zimmerman because he's going to have a week off. <laughs> there you go. And, uh, you know, and I, I actually do want to um, comment. I know people have asked, um, I don't think it made it into the mailbag, but people have asked if there's a way for Nashville to appeal um, because it, and it is effectively a red card to get two yellows. Typically, you can only appeal a straight red, but for when a guy gets a second yellow, uh, you essentially have to prove that the that there was no foul at all much less that the 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 offense was a a cardable offense so it is a situation where it's unlikely that there's uh the ability i can i'll just read it from the rules the first yellow card can be appealed in circumstances when the first card was issued for unsporting behavior and in the opinion of the independent review panel the opponent attempted to deceive the referee so the first one can only come back if the if it was uh essentially a dive and the second can be can be pulled back when when the player receives two yellow cards in a match, which results in a suspension. So you can appeal that second one, but again, you basically have to prove it wasn't a foul or you have to, in the opinion of the, of the, uh, of the, um, I can't think of what they're called, but the appeal, <laughs> you have to, you basically had to say not a foul, not just not a yellow card worthy offense. I think if I'm Nashville, I appeal just to make the statement that I strongly disagreed with. I think they will. You get, you get, I think four or five unsuccessful appeals this season. I think they'll do that. I think it's worth it. I don't think they're going to win. They're both. Yeah. Agreed. The the second one to me is, it's just a terrible misread of, of the match really. You know, it's, I think I, so you mentioned that he might've been um, under the assumption that it was Shaq Moore making the foul and then was, was caught. I actually think he thought the ball was going to the player that Walker fouled, in which case it, it could have, been a kind of a, a professional foul in which circumstance you would give a yellow card for that but the ball had already been played by the time yeah. um they essentially had their heels um you know knocked together and, and walker pushes them down because they're both losing their balance but 
it is what it is. Yeah, it's not an appeal. Nashville's going to win, and yeah. Walker gets and, and and Jack Mayer, and then when Lucas McNaughton was inserted, both played incredibly sure. Yeah, moments. Uh, there, yeah. there were ever many moments of fear, uh, despite maybe a couple of decent DC chances, uh, because Nashville was dominant at home, and they've been dominant at home now, just over halfway into the home slate as we get into our Gold Nuggets. Nashville's already tied its record for home wins in a season with eight of them. They're unbeaten their last eight at Jodas Park, and Tim, we have uh, knocked on the term unbeaten before because of course it's nice but you know when you're tying the league record for draws in 2021 unbeaten's tempered just a little bit this year nashville is earning wins at home not just draws their points per game at home this year so far 2.36 yeah that's going to get you a top four spot if you keep that up and in 2021 by comparison that unbeaten home campaign Points per game, just 1.9. So not only are they taking care of business at home, they're doing so at arguably a higher rate than needed to really have the elite kind of season they want to have. Yeah, and it's worth noting, you know, they're not going to finish with an unbeaten home season, but the the only losses is to a Cincinnati team that's on pace to, to set a record for points. So um, as uh, unsavory as it might seem to uh, give Cincinnati some credit for anything, uh, it's that's a good team that they lost to in their only home loss. And uh, this is a team that last year was not that good at Geodis Park. They were fine, but they weren't, you know, taking advantage of, of what a, a home venue, a dedicated home venue can do for you. They have absolutely changed the narrative. I, I was talking to, to people um, after the match on Saturday night um, who are not Nashville SC fans. They were just watching on TV and they said, holy cow, the crowd was so loud from minute one. And I was like, mm-hmm. That again, that that's something that that opponents were saying last year. It's like, yeah, it, it's fine there, and and Nashville has really embraced Geodas Park as a place that they can that they can build a home field advantage, and it's it's good to see that kind of not only manifesting in terms of of continued solid play, but really really good. Play. Yeah, the the crowd has really coalesced around this team, and and been awesome this year. I I, I will say watching in Quebec on my phone because I didn't have Apple TV on the actual TV. The sound was still <laughs> loud and clear. The crowd mix was really good. Tony Husband and Ross Smith did a great job on the call. But the 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 Nat sound from the crowd was absolutely popping. It was it was awesome. Uh, as for the six match home win streak now for Nashville SC, yes, that's six in a row at home without a loss. And it's been dominant. Multiple goals in every match. Nashville's outscoring opponents 16 to four. That's all great. We've talked about home form. Tim, is there anything this team can do to translate that home success into stronger road play or is the home road, you know, split difference just going to be what it is? Yeah. I mean, in, in major league soccer, it is going to be what it is to a certain extent. I think when you look at Nashville's home road split so far, they're three, four and three away from home, which um, obviously two of those four losses came just last week. And um, I think one way to take advantage of, of road matches is to not play them with a diminished lineup as Nashville had to do last week. So I I think they'll be fine on the road. They're not going to be the sort of team that, that is going to go out and play super progressive soccer. Every time they hit the road, that's just really not what Gary Smith is going to do. Um, Maybe against some really bad teams, uh, hopefully as, as soon as this weekend in Chicago, they'll, they'll go out and play really progressive soccer and, and try to, to beat the crap out of some people. But for the most part, uh, I think they're, they're playing for one of those on the, on the road rather than going out and trying to say, Hey, let's, let's, you know, get three, four as they often are willing to do at home. The good news is they are about to play currently the worst home team 
in the East, Chicago, with just a couple of wins. Actually, sorry, just one one win at home this year. Is that right? Sorry, I'm triple checking that because that's that's not good. No, they're two friend. they're two one and six at home. Oh, see, all right, thank you, you got me. Um, two one and six. They're they're trying to pull a Nashville 2021, except uh, <laughs> even Nashville didn't draw that many times at home at this rate. Uh, Hani Mukhtar, three matches without a goal of his own now. Uh, not exactly something to be worried about, given that he's still involved in the attack and, and playing good soccer, but it does tie his longest stretch of consecutive starts without a goal since the beginning of last season when he went the first six matches without scoring. Uh, just a fun stat that doesn't mean anything. Uh, when Hani starts and does not score, Nashville's 4-4-3 and three this year. When he scores, they are 6-1-1. One, and one. That stat manipulated by the fact that if Hani scores, that means the team is scoring, which means they yeah. have a better chance to win. So I'm not even going to ask you to analyze it. In, in this, in this audio medium, uh, people don't get to see how I was glaring at Wes before you made that. As I was writing that today in the rundown, I was I was making your argument against it as I wrote it. So just wanted to put that stat out there that when Nashville, when Hani scores, Nashville does well. When any player scores, Nashville's more likely to win. That is uh, how soccer works. Uh, but next up, Tim, is the Chicago team against whom Hani notched that hat trick and early may mm -hmm. the fire are the worst home team in the east 1.5 goals conceded per match at soldier field i know it's going to be you know a rotation situation because philadelphia is up next for this team on a short week but if honey plays and he better play surely this time at soldier field he's got to be licking his chops against the chicago team yeah i don't think wisconsin and northwestern played at soldier field last week That's, unlike when the they problem. played a couple years yes. ago yeah, yeah. <laughs> so field quality yeah uh, yeah, the, field, the the pitch at, at Soldier Field has been pretty good so far this year. Um, you know, playing there before the fall rolls around is, is a preferred thing to do. Uh, I think Hani will play, and um, depending on the quality of, of, you know, how firm the sod is, like when you play in an NFL stadium sometimes, especially over the summer when they're not, you know, in NFL shape, uh, there are there are positives to that, but there are also negatives in that the the groundskeeping is is done a little bit differently and and possibly not as well for the soccer use to be to be quite frank about it. But uh, I, I think when you have a player like Hani Mukhtar uh, and you're potentially worried about the quality of the surface, you you say, Hani, go out and score first half hat trick. Go out and and get the quickest hat trick in in Major League Soccer history, if you would please. Uh, and I think that's something that. Uh, you would at least like to see him have the opportunity to do. I, I would expect him to play, and I would expect uh, the fire to to put up a very minimal fight. To be quite honest, uh, the, it's it's kind of a man versus self storyline for Nashville this week. Uh, you know, in a lot of ways. I think it's fair. Uh, some other stats about Chicago as I've been researching them a little extra. I'll be on the radio call this week filling in uh, for Will Bowling and Lucas Penzika, who have done a great job this year. Uh, Chicago's never beaten Nashville in four tries. They've been outscored 9-2 to two in those games. Hani has two hat tricks against them. So there you go. Uh, they've not scored against Nashville in 223 minutes. It was Ignacio Aliceta, and it was in a 5-1 loss. So even then, that goal, not exactly noteworthy. Uh, and Chicago has not played a match this year with an XG of 2.0 or better. Not a, a prolific scoring team. Um, and, uh, of course, they've already fired their manager and are, have been working with Frank Klopas in his third tenure as manager now for the better part of uh, a little over a month, actually. So uh, not great times for Chicago, but a great time to watch a match at ML Rose over some Carolina Sweets and a beer of your choice. When you do the Carolina Sweets, is it a light beer situation with that or more of an IPA? Or do you even go dark with the to kind of complement the the caramelized sauce on the on the barbecue? Yeah, I really go IPA, especially with food, because that just like overwhelms the food a little bit. You know, you're 
you're going to taste hops. <laughs> you're not going to taste a ton of a ton of what you're eating. But uh, yeah, I, I am a fairly typical dark beer drinker. I think I've probably mentioned that um, approximately 1000 times in this podcast. But I, I don't think that that is something that's going to overwhelm the the sweetness and the slight tang of that of that uh, Carolina style barbecue sauce. So I, I do really like to go with the dark beer and it does, it is like a complimentary, you're really a, a holistic seven course meal or six of the courses might be a beer. Um, but yeah. I, I like to go with the dark ones for that. Rather than complimenting the flavor with a dark beer, I like to compliment the vibe. I feel like Carolina sweets are really nice. Um, did, did I say vibe right? Am I 24 successfully? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. You killed it. Core memory. They they also say that. I think I don't know. I'm not cool anymore. I'm not 20. Uh, from from Inside Out, the Pixar movie Inside Out. <laughs> a little core memory talk for all my Pixar heads. Uh, I, I I'm I'm lost now. I did watch. Is is uh is Minions Pixar? Is that is that? No, that's DreamWorks. Okay, I'm not I'm not to your level of dad mode yet. We've got got a little guy who can't pay attention in the movie. <laughs> Um, anyway, I, I love to to compliment the vibes with a light beer this time of year. For like light beer barbecue with that with that sauce and the, and the sweet potato fries, it just goes so well. I'll go mm-hmm. like the cheapest Tastes like summer. beer. Yeah, it does. It yeah. does. And like a local. The one thing I don't love is the local breweries that make a Mexican lager that tastes just like the macro stuff you can get, but they charge more because they're a local brewery. Like it's the only thing about local beer I don't love, uh, but give me something light, even a little bit fruity. I mean, it's it's still beer. I'm not kicking it out of bed. Uh, I'll still drink it. But drinking it in bed. All right, Wes, we might we might need to have an intervention. <laughs> beer in bed. No, I, 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 hey, listen, I uh, I'm willing to pay a premium to support local businesses, including great. but not limited to ML Rose. I'm just gonna. There you go. Way to bring it back. I'll just support the local breweries by buying a different beer from that brewery uh, or three of them to make up for the one Mexican I'm not buying. And, and ML Rose is the place to drink that, uh, to eat the Carolina sweets with whatever beer you choose. Take a picture, guys. Send it to us. Tag us. And especially if you're watching the match from there on Saturday. Let's get to the mailbag now. Stephen Shirley asks us to talk about Jack Mayer's development. Is it time to place him among the best center backs in MLS? I'm going to make an argument. I tease this at the top of the show. In a just world that's based on performance and not just perception, Jack Mayer is Nashville's all-star center back instead of Walker yeah. Zimmerman. And Walker deserves it for many other reasons, right? Like he's, he's the world cup, you know, defensive talisman, if you will, he has incredible ability. He's mismatches due to injury. He's not underperformed. He's just underplayed. Yeah. If you will, he hasn't played as much. Jack Mayer has been the most prominent central defender on the league's best defense. He's played every minute. Uh, and, and just a stat to back a little bit of that up. He ranks third in MLS in percentage of dribblers tackled. So, Again, you know, some of that's based on quantity, but a, it's a sign certainly of his ability to confidently read the attack, to confidently snuff up, snuff out chances. Um, I, I think he's he's all star caliber. And if Walker Zimmerman is somehow out for the season or doesn't exist, that's sad for multiple reasons. We don't want that. But Jack is is an all star without a lot of question. When this team drafted Mayor, Mike Jacobs, Tim said that that Jack reminded him of a young Walker Zimmerman in terms of just the style of play does it have the potential though to go beyond just that style of play and reach the type of heights that walker has reached or is that still asking us to project a whole lot into his career yeah well first i agree with you that if if you're going to take a nashville center back to the all-star game this season based on what has happened this season it should be jack over walker and that's not because walker has done anything wrong other than uh, his his best ability not being availability so far this year and then it happens. Uh, there's, there's, that's not a, a, a you know, a, an indictment of him in any stretch of the imagination. 
Um, I, I've actually been very surprised by the way Mayer's development has played out because um, obviously they're very comfortable playing Walker and Jack next to each other. It made them comfortable enough to to trade Dave Romney this offseason. And uh, you you essentially do have two Walker's Zimmerman next to each other a lot of the times when you look at them and, you know, score one for Mike Jacobs is scouting for sure. I think what you see from Mayer is a little bit more comfort on the ball um, playing passes. Walker obviously is a, a much more accomplished dribbler and an attacking player too, um, whether on set pieces or, or being willing to just get into the attack, um, whether late in games or, or on a little bit of a walkabout, but Mayer is kind of what we felt like Zimmerman was the first year of Nashville SC. He's going to be the rock at the back and, and not always necessarily as exciting um, in terms of you know scoring other other than set pieces because Walker was outstanding on set pieces the first year too, but I think you're seeing the trajectory and it'll be interesting to see if if Jack ever ever gets a national team shout because he was a youth national teamer and mm-hmm. uh, I think he's developed in you know beyond what I expected of him as well. You hope that ultimately he's not buried in the shadow of Walker when it comes to national team consideration, but rather perhaps that you know Greg Berhalter and company watching Walker so often allows a spotlight to also shine on yeah. in proximity. Yeah. Uh, they're not going to overlook a guy like that if he does continue to perform like he's performing. All right, let's go with a rules question here. Kay Baker with a DM after the match wanted to talk about kind of the quirky first goal uh, for Nashville. And, uh, you know, Tyler Miller's caused a lot of these questions and situations by playing as a central midfielder. <laughs> the, <laughs> the one the one that was cleared, uh, I think it was from a set piece, and he's collecting the ball inside the center circle. I'm like, what is going on? It's insane. And I know that's how Rooney wants him to play. Yeah. I'm going to vent again about him being an all-star in a minute because, you know, I hadn't done enough of that already. But it's just, <laughs> it's bizarre. It is, it's a bizarre approach that I think has hurt them more than it's helped them. But I'm not the manager, so whatever. Uh, but Kay Baker wanted to talk about the offside rule in such a situation. She asked if the opposing team's goalie is outside the 18, does that make him a defender eliminating a possible offside? It happened last night in Randall's first goal. And actually, um, the, the offside rule is is misunderstood a bit. It's not one defender that has to be between you and the goal. It's actually two. Uh, it's just that one of them is typically almost, the Yeah, it's almost always so, the keeper. Yeah. So you, you talk about the last defender because it's the last defender, 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 you know, but but the keeper, you know, is not counted in that equation by a lot of people. So if if, for instance, the keeper came out way out and you're past the keeper but there are still two defenders between Mm -hmm. you and the goal you're you're fine you can be past the keeper and still be onside yeah and for all my uh inverting the pyramid heads it actually used to be three defenders uh two defenders and the goalie in in most circumstances for the offside rule they they loosened it up in like the 1890s or something like that i don't i don't when the dudes were wearing like military boots to play soccer as a very different game but yeah the, the big picture is that um it is it, the, the goalie always counts. It's just that he counts for one of two, not not just mm-hmm. um, a single defender being required to keep you on side. But it will not be the last time that somebody watching a DC match looks up that rule and says, keep it <laughs> goal scored. What happens here? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely quirky. Uh, Tim, let's go outside in and let's head to the Gold Cup where uh, the U.S. It. has won its group with a B team. They, of course, draw with Jamaica, get a late goal to finish that off, and then win resoundingly as expected against St. Kitts and Trinidad. Same amount of points as Jamaica, but they get by on goal difference. Uh, which player? Yeah, dude, N- Navis and Tobago in the mud for you, huh? <laughs> What's that? St. Kitts and Trinidad only. Oh. Not, their, not their partner island. Oh, sorry, Nevis. 
and sorry, Tobago. Nevis and Tobago <laughs> going to form a national team as well. I think it's going to split them up. Um, my bad. My, my bad. <laughs> sorry to all my uh, British colonial enthusiasts out there. Um, Tim, because it's a B team, we've had a chance to see some players, you know, play either who have been tangential or have not been a part of the equation for the national team. Which of them have made the most of their opportunity and maybe have a chance now of pushing themselves toward? either regular involvement or even regular starting opportunity down the road. I think a couple of the guys who have, who have done the most in my eyes are guys who actually have been with the, the senior national team in the past. Jesus Ferreira is obviously on a huge goal scoring tear right now. Yeah. Back-to-back hat tricks, which I believe is the first time it's been done in competitive matches for a United States men's national team player. He's second in all time hat tricks. Uh, Landon Donovan had had four and Jesus now has three, I believe. Uh, for the U.S. men's national team, so that's that's huge. The other guy that is has been a little bit more of a fringe guy, but has really won me over, and I was a skeptic of his in the past. Is Brian Reynolds, the right back, mm-hmm. who has looked really good? Um, he's always been the sort of guy who plays a beautiful ball, but you kind of question some of the other stuff and some of the consistency that he brings to the matter. And he's been much more consistent. Yes, it is against a Jamaica team that um, had no way to get the ball to its Premier League front couple players there. And then against um, Trinidad and Tobago and St. Kitts and Nevis, it's it's not the greatest competition in the world. But this is a guy who has kind of gone on a little bit of a, a European journey since uh, leaving FC Dallas and is really seems to be coming into his own. And I think that as you look forward towards the future, um, it might be unfortunate for a Nashville SC player in Shaq Moore, but it looks like Reynolds has the opportunity to really snag a right back spot. And he also has the flexibility to play as a, as like a right center back and back threes as well. So he's somebody who's really impressed me too. It's been really fun to see so many MLS players have success and, and get involved. And, and even like a, an MLS, you know, longtime guy like Julian Gressel, who, you know, you never really put as a national teamer and, I mean, he's, you know, German slash German American and, you know, never going to play for Germany, obviously. Great to see him get it and get some action. Kate Cowell, mm-hmm. a glimpse maybe of the future uh, young guy. And of course, Brandon Vasquez, the one that we talked about leading up to the World Cup, who was just on an absolute bender uh, last year and was not called up to have that opportunity to play in the World Cup. Good to see him get involved and score some goals as well. It's been really fun. I, I, I think that even if the U.S. doesn't win the Gold Cup, which they should, they they yeah given where Mexico is and Canada's you know awful awful tournament so far they should even if they don't I think the real victory is getting some of these guys involved and also watching Mexico yeah. is, is also fun. Yeah. Uh, well and also Cuba has a chance to do the funniest possible thing which is beat Canada <laughs> beat Canada with or even just draw players. Canada and I don't think Canada can advance yeah and if we draw Canada multiple players leaving the team to you know to come to the US um, yeah. which is often the case when a Cuban national team of any sport plays here uh, support that do what you need to do to to you know make a living for yourself um, but yeah uh, the folks in Canada I, I can tell you they're not talking about soccer up here they're talking about the NHL draft and maybe that's the biggest sign of how far the game still has to go up here um, despite the great World Cup performance and qualifying performance for uh, for the Canadians. Uh, Mexico loses to Qatar. I love seeing Mexico yes. lose. I don't like seeing Qatar win, so it kind of felt like a little bit of a mixed feeling situation. Yeah, it was, it was a bit of a, a Perec victory there because Mexico still tops the group, so yeah. it is what it is. But they're on the other side of the yeah. knockout round as a result of that, so uh, not, not bad news there. Uh, the U.S. is going to play the second-place team in Canada's group, which could be Canada. We, should, we could see U.S.-Canada in the quarterfinals, which... I'm not too scared of this Canadian team, but they do still have a few players who were in the World Cup squad. I mean, it's not like yeah. there's a C team here. 
Um, yeah, I, th- I think for selfish purposes, I would like to see uh, Canada draw or lose to Cuba and then uh, Jacob Schaffelberg return. <laughs> That's fine with me. And Fafa Pico is on the way back uh, after Haiti's elimination. And it's a disappointing one for Haiti. They beat Qatar. Mm-hmm. They're up on Honduras. Uh, and, and that would have put them with a win on six points. And uh, actually, they would have. Uh, they wouldn't have won the group. I don't know. I don't know what goal difference would have been there, but but they would have tied on points with Mexico at the top of the group and gone through. Instead, Fafa heads back to Nashville after they concede twice to Honduras late. Um, and the best news is that Fafa just played 18 minutes in that third game. He came off the bench. So presumably, if he's healthy, um, he can integrate back into the squad and play and presumably start uh, Tim against Chicago. Yeah, and that's a situation where it's always kind of a negative to lose guys for these competitions. You're obviously happy for the players. Um, somebody asked in, in one of our first couple podcasts, and I misunderstood the question, is it is it good to have a guy like Hani, whose nationality is Germany, a, a national team for which he is not going to play? Because then you have, uh, at the time, we didn't know he's going to be the best best player in the league obviously he is by now but he, you're also not going to lose him for international competition because of the depth of talent that germany has and um that's that's kind of uh, a downside for having a guy like fafa who's a dual national a previous u.s international who now plays for haiti um he's going to get called up to things like this um i guess the the silver lining is that haiti did not uh, support him well enough to to go out and um you know get out of the group stage so so nashville will have him back um again Cuba, you know what to do. Uh, give Jacob back and also hilariously keep Canada out of the knockout rounds if you could. I hesitate to read, uh, root against Canada and a house full of Canadians, but none of those. Just, just root for the draw and, and be like, oh, I didn't know that they couldn't go through with a draw. Who knew? I, I have you have often, to do it in that voice, too. I've often succeeded by not knowing things or by pretending to not know things because it's, <laughs> it's credible. It's credible that I wouldn't know something in my house. Um, plus, my family doesn't care about soccer, so I can, you know, I can whatever. Um, all right. So U.S. going through the quarterfinals. I think that wraps up Gold Cup discussion. Um, let's fix the All-Star game. First of all, do you think the All-Star game needs fixing or is it just a gimmick that doesn't really matter? If you get picked, great. If not, no big deal. You get some rest and who cares who they play or who plays is, is that where you are? Or do you think that it's an opportunity that needs to be addressed? Yeah. I, I mean, I think it is an opportunity when I look at it, I see something that it exists for fun for, for more content on the Apple uh, MLS season pass. <laughs> so it's not, it's, it's not the worst thing. If it's, if it's uh, an uncompetitive game, if it's a, a weird format or whatever, as long as it's fun, that's what it exists for. You, you see people kind of complaining about it and like, Oh, well, you know this that or whatever is wrong with also game like it, it, it's fun it, it's yeah. it's an entertainment product as much as soccer is uh, always an entertainment product from this perspective it's even more so because it's basically a friendly but um yeah I, I don't have a problem with it most formats as long as it ends up being fun so what i care about is none of none of the traditional stuff right i don't care about the result especially if arsenal beats them six nothing that's awesome uh come on gunners um you know i i only care really about one aspect of it which is recognizing the players who who deserve to get the spotlight and in in the all-star game then is almost symbolic versus actual but but i think you know what's disappointing to me is seeing again a guy like joe willis who you know has the best save percentage in mls has uh, i think close to the most clean sheets now and and the the best goals against average not get a chance to go because Wayne Rooney, who's the all-star coach, has the right to choose his guy and chooses Tyler Miller, who has um, not had an all-star season, case in point, Saturday night. 
For me, I, I think, Tim, the all-star coach has just a little bit too much power. I think there need to be some checks on the power the coach has to just choose his own people. Christian Benteke, great choice. No problem with him choosing his his striker there. But but you end up, in the end, leaving out Carlos Heel, who, you know, we, we've made fun of in the past, but has had an all-star caliber year this yeah. year. Joe Willis, you know, Jack Mayer's a lesser issue, and really Walker's the one probably taking that spot, so not going to get yeah. too mad about that, of course. But but I wonder if if the coach has just a little bit too much power to select whoever he wants. When you you figure, I mean, some of these guys are getting bonuses in their contracts based on whether they're selected. The I think every, I think by rule, yeah. there's a, a skill that, yeah. that guys there's, get, plus they might have value. incentives, yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, with that in mind, you know, and then the commissioner choosing Kai Kamara and, and Sean Ye from, from Montreal, presumably Sean Ye, just so you can give your French language broadcaster something to talk about during the All-Star game. I don't know. Uh, and then um, Kai Kamara, symbolically, because he's played for 10 teams and, you know, played hundreds and hundreds of games. But should the commissioner be able to just choose politically like that? Shouldn't he also be looking at, oh, who got left out? Who did the coach screw over? Let me get those guys in the game. Or I mean, it, that's, point, that's just a marketing gimmick. That's ostensibly what the commissioner's role is. And, you know, we can complain because he didn't pick the, guy, the guys that we wanted him to pick. But essentially, the commissioner's role is, and I'll tell you what, it's not Don Garber sitting down and no. looking at, at, at uh, American soccer analysis charts and seeing who's left out. It's it's the league saying, OK, here's who we want to be there. So I don't have a problem with it. Um, it does impact the pocketbooks of some of these or all of these guys that are or are not selected. So from that perspective, it's it's um, it can be a bit of a, a downer for a guy like Jack Mayer or a downer for a guy like Joe Willis, who it must be noted has not been. Uh, hopefully he will be by the time this podcast comes out a player uh, team of the week selection yet this season, even though he, I still, I think still leads the league in clean sheets. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, I guess it kind of goes back to my, my broader picture look at the all-star thing, which is it's for fun. I, it's not worth, you know, getting worked up over, over the selections too much other than how it impacts these guys and, and their day-to-day lives and, and their paychecks. Yeah. I think frustration is about the strongest emotion I've felt and, and within proper context, you know, not gnashing my teeth about it, but, but I, I do think guys like Joe deserve to have that recognition. Yeah. I mean, but then again, you look back at, um, you know, 2021 when Hani wasn't an all-star and he, he leads the league in goals plus assists and you know should have been MVP finished second in the MVP voting it's it's always going to be flawed when you only have one team you don't have an east versus a west or two mm-hmm. different teams so that's the other question from a marketing standpoint from a fun standpoint what's more fun for you do you like it when they play a european team or a league of mx or or would you prefer to see a pure all-star game east versus west or fantasy draft with your you know two leading goal scorers or or you know some other format that's league versus you know w- within the league versus yeah. you know interleague yeah i mean I can see value in various different um, formats for it. They used to do like international players versus domestic players way back in the day. They've done a few different uh, intra league splits. I actually really, really liked what they did last year uh, playing against Liga MX because this is the the top two leagues in our region. Um, they are leagues that are jockeying for that top spot. And I think you see that people actually cared in a way that they probably don't care if it's an East versus West MLS versus MLS thing in a way that I hate to break it to you. They are not going to care when it's MLS all-stars versus Arsenal and Arsenal is not really going to care either. So it is a situation where you aren't getting as much competitive fire from these guys with a bunch of different formats. 
I understand why they didn't do League MX this year because they don't want to take any of the shine off League's Cup. They want to make sure that that is the um, Mexico versus U.S. and Canada event of the summer. But at the same time, I think when you look at the long run and how Liga MX and MLS have started to work together for the good of soccer in the respective uh, three countries and the the region itself, that's probably the way to go. I would, I, you know, I personally would would make that permanent. It's it's awesome. I really like kind of the the competitive nature of it. But I, I'm not going to sit here and complain that they're bringing uh, uh, one of the you know, top six or seven teams in London to, to MLS to, to play. <laughs> We're at least top five in London. Come on. <laughs> uh, all right. Content recommendation time, Tim. I got a couple of local, local shouts here, neither of which directly have to do with soccer, but both touch our space here. Uh, the first, I mentioned it, I think before I was supposed to, uh, a couple weeks ago at the, at the tag of our show, new podcast on the 440 Sports Network, Pod Bless Nashville, uh, Braden Gall, Jamie Holland talking local politics. Uh, it is the best spoken word analysis of um, the the mayoral race and city council races and local politics that that I've heard. Uh, and then complementing that is the writing of the Nashville Banner, which has an extensive mayoral and city council election guide. Now, uh, with the launch of their website, if you're an old school Nashvilleian like me, you remember the the Nashville Banner, the evening daily uh, that that phased out and was was bought and killed by the Tennessean a long time ago. Um, mm-hmm. It's back in a different format, digital format. Our good friend of the show, Steve Cavendish, who, who we're in regular touch with, who often has mailbag questions here, um, he, and Demetria Kaladimos, a legendary Channel 4 anchor back in the day. Uh, they are leading it, and they're leading it with, with nonpartisan, non-paywall uh, stewardship of, of you know great journalism in this market. I cannot recommend those two things enough, whether you're a policy wonk or just now waking up like, oh, there's an election coming up in August. I don't care who you vote for, but crucial to be informed. And uh, they're going to give you exactly what you need. And Pod Bless Nashville, some hilarious stories as well. Jamie, um, the uh, maybe the negative side of the cynical side of the coin in local politics, which is what you want to hear. You know, idealism's great to a point, but he's going to tell you how things really are. I love that. He shook her coats. Absolutely nothing. Tim, it's a lot of fun. All right, I've got two. Uh, one of which is very off the wall and random. Um, people probably noticed that I was not on the podcast last week. I had an uncle die, um, which uh, yeah, it's dunk, but whatever. Sorry, uh, <laughs> the podcast is not the place to to worry about that. But uh, the funeral was in Covington, Kentucky, which is just across the river from Cincinnati. If anybody's going to Cincinnati for any purpose, perhaps a uh, U.S. men's national team game on Sunday, if anybody's going to Chicago on Saturday and, and Cincinnati on Sunday or when Nashville travels there. Dude, Covington, Kentucky was super cool. I was dumbfounded. I thought it was going to be like this weird like suburb thing that that is just kind of a weird, you know, across the river from Cincinnati. It was like it has a cool downtown area. There's a lot going on there. I was absolutely dumbfounded, was not expecting that in the least. Covington, Kentucky, check it out. Uh, my more serious one is... uh. U.S. Soccer Collective, uh, Marcus Cherez, who's uh, just like an insane fount of knowledge about the U.S. men's national team player pool, about the domestic player pool, um, it has started a website that is at ussoccercollective.com. Very easy to find if you can remember the name. A couple of weeks ago, he uh, it was less than a week ago, probably. He put out a piece uh, looking at the best academy prospects from each MLS team 
including Nashville SC. Um, we're hoping to have him on the podcast soon. I have just forgotten to ask him because as previously mentioned, I was in Kentucky all last week. So um, it is a situation where uh, we want to have him on and, and chat about um, Adem Sipic and, um, you know, some of the other guys that he looks at as, as future, um, you know, first team possibilities from Nashville SC's Academy. Uh, and so uh, check out his website in the, in the, uh, for the time being, and, and we'll hopefully have him on soon. All right, I've pulled it up. I'm going to procrastinate work and uh, dig into this. This is great. Thanks for the recommendation. So, so we we had to do two two Zoom meetings, and what the people don't know is that before we started recording on the second one, was like, yeah, I'm probably not going to work for the rest of the day. So don't let a, don't let him tell you that that's what he's procrastinating. <laughs> he had it in his plans. It was already in my plans. That's true. I'm, I'm going to push back jumping in the lake by about five minutes. There's actually <laughs> when I go down the lake, I have to spray a beehive that has developed around stuff. So I actually. Um, that's what I'm really procrastinating is going down, <laughs> taking bee spray and maybe dying. We'll see. Um, thanks for a good show. Uh, everybody who listened, Tim, great to have you back. Uh, best wishes to, uh, to your family and a uh, Newport on the levee. Also really cool, by the way, right across from Covington, the, um, that's where they were thinking about having to put the FC Cincinnati Stadium before they found their spot. It must be yeah, glad they found it where it is because Newport and the Levee is wonderful, kind of kitschy, but they have a hot. They should have put it in Covington. Covington rules, dude. It was so cool there. I loved it. Could Cincinnati fans get past the trash talk they would have gotten if, you know, the big no, snobbery place, you know, their team? No, they, they, they survived the trash talk of the team being like the worst in league history for four years. So. <laughs> Barely, barely. Their airport's in Kentucky, too. So I guess airport, the pro sports team. Uh, Newport and the Levee has one of the only Hofbrau houses in the world. The original one is in Munich. And randomly, I was there two weeks ago. Um, the, the one in Munich. Very random. I've the been to the one in Columbus only. The, the pretzels in the U.S. one's way better because they're just churning out stale pretzels in Munich for millions of tourists a day, I think, who were just coming here. <laughs> uh, they kind of sucked. Um, but where you're not going to get bad food is ML Rose, of course. Don't forget. Again, if you're listening to this on the 3rd, go on July 4th, any of their locations, free slider with the purchase of craft beer. Two good things. Three good things if you include the fact that one of them is free. Uh, Moon Taxi with the music. Rate, review, subscribe. Tell a friend about us. Follow us each on Twitter. I'm not going to be on Twitter a whole lot these days, but I will still jump on for podcast yeah. purposes and for professional purposes. Uh, which is the, by the time you're listening, Twitter may not even exist. Exactly. Like 70% of the reason I'm on Twitter is for the podcast and for work anyway. So let's just, I'm just not going to be doing as much trash talking of non Tennessee football fans. That's really where I'm cutting back, I guess. Um, <laughs> that got me past the rate limit um, every time. Uh, 440 Sports Network, check them out, especially Pod West Nashville, that new show. It's great. Um, and uh, listen to the match. If, if you happen to be around, I'll be on radio this Saturday making a return uh, for one night and one night only, I think. Uh, but I uh, hope you guys have a great, great week. We'll talk to you soon.